But it is so good to see you all here. Hey, it's only one week till Christmas, like Pastor Rob said. Anybody excited for Christmas? So I grew up in Colorado and then spent 14 years in Wisconsin. So this little cold snap actually makes it feel like Christmas for me. I'm trying to figure out last year being here for the first time in Texas, how you know it's Christmas when it weather doesn't change. So you Texans need to help me understand that just a little bit. And yeah, other than the calendar. Yeah. And so, so that is helpful. But today, walking out this morning, I had to get my, I actually had to go in, the, in my boxes that were packed away since moving down here and pick out my coats and my little scarf and gloves. Does anybody even own those down here? <laughs> well, today was the day to use them, right? <laughs> Fantastic. No snow, no ice. But anyway, only one week till Christmas. How many of you have those kind of special people on your Christmas list that are kind of hard to buy for? Got any of those in, in, in your life? All right, get your pad and paper out here because I'm going to help you get your Christmas gifts figured out. So first, men, I'm going to give you the top five things not to buy the women in your life. All right, so men, pay attention to me because number one, the number one thing not to buy for your women this Christmas is a table saw, Okay. I, that, I'm just saying, it was, a, it was a national thing that said women just don't want a table saw. So man, just wipe that off on your list. Number two is a new vacuum cleaner. <laughs> it usually doesn't go over very well, but let me just say something. If you buy her and I bought one of those Roombas, then you're probably going to be okay this year. Okay, so you might have spent $1,000, but you'll be, you'll be okay. Number three is a laser hair removal kit. <laughs> Your intentions might be good, but don't do it. Number four is the Rambo Trilogy on DVD. I know, men, you're trying to figure a way to get that into the house, but don't do it. It's not what they want. Number five are live animals, especially rats, snakes, and hamsters. Just don't bring those at Christmas time. All right, men, okay now? That's your list. Make sure you get those off your list. Now, ladies, it's your turn. Here are the top five things that men don't want to have at Christmas time, so you can wipe these off your list. Number one, the Anne of Green Gables Collector Edition DVD set with 74 minutes of extra footage. Just don't buy that for them. They're not going to be very grateful. Number two are tickets to the ballet. I understand what you're trying to do there and get them cultured, but it just doesn't work. And number three is the laser hair removal kit. <laughs> doesn't work for him either. No matter how hairy he is, just don't do it. And the number four, a Bath and Body Works soap basket. <laughs> it's sweet and all, but not what he wants. And then lastly, number five, sandals and socks. Don't buy them together because the men in your life will just wear them together. And that's no good. You don't want to see your man in sandals and socks. All right, everybody good? You got your Christmas list here? All right, let's go home now. Are you ready to go shopping? Let's talk about the scripture here just a little bit here. This morning, we're going to look at a guy by the name of Joseph and how he responded to the gift that God had for him, a gift that ended up completely messing up his life. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. You know, I think that Joseph is probably the most forgotten character in the Christmas story. We give a lot of attention, obviously, to baby Jesus and to Mary and also to the shepherds and to the wise. But when it comes to Joseph, I think we kind of forget the role that he played. As a matter of fact, did you know that he's the only one in the nativity narrative that doesn't have anything to say? In all the books of the Bible and the the gospels that describe the story, he doesn't say a single word. Isn't that interesting? But even though he is the seemingly silent guy, his character says so much more than I think words could ever say. We're going to kind of drop through this here this morning. Look again in, in that verse. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. You know, I think like most men, Joseph probably thought that his life was all scripted out that he had his life already planned, that he knew what his life was going to be. He was, he was studying to become a carpenter. He had a prearranged marriage to marry. He is, his life was, was exciting. It was, it was great. Everything was going great. It was all neatly arranged for them. But then his world came crashing down when Mary told him she was pregnant. I want you to think about that for your own life because how many times have you experienced that where You were on this course and you felt like you had everything figured out. You knew what your life was going to be and you knew how things were going to go and everything was going great. And then all of a sudden something happens to put you into a tailspin. Maybe for you, it was because someone died that you love that's close to you. Maybe for you, it's you lose your job or you fail at a class at school or Maybe for you, you receive some sort of difficult news from a friend, or you get a bad report from your doctor, or you get transferred to a different office. You had your life all planned out, and everything was going according to script, and then something happens to all of a sudden put you into this tailspin. When I was thinking through these last couple of years, 2015 and 2016 were exactly that way for me and, me and my family. We had been pastoring up in Wisconsin for 14 years, and... Uh, You've heard some of my story in, just in the past of how God even brought us there to Wisconsin. But that part of Wisconsin was one of the most unchurched parts of the United States. But God began to do some extraordinary things while we were up there. I think even in spite of us, there was a place, of, an area where churches weren't thriving. Most churches were collapsing and losing people. Lots of churches were empty and even closed But during that time, God began to do just remarkable things. And our our little church that I took it over with 120 people grew to 1,200 people with five different campuses, three English and two Spanish speaking. It was a wonder. It was a miracle that we were able to be a part of. And and for us, my kids basically grew up there. We were there for 14 years. So my family grew um, that's what they, my kids consider Wisconsin home. I was pastoring with my best friends, people that I had added to my staff. Everything about what we were doing was fantastic. But then in January 2015, God began to stir in my heart that there was a change that was coming. And to shorten my whole story, obviously, seven months later, we found ourselves right here in Austin, Texas, working with our long-term friends, Pastor Ross and Miss Amy. 
I thought I had my life all planned out. I thought I was going to retire in Wisconsin. I thought this is what was going to be the rest of my life. And then all of a sudden, God messed up my plans. And then we got here to Austin and was finally figuring things out, finally getting our life kind of squared away, understanding all this whole Texas lingo and language and understanding how to pronounce Mancheca and, and Burnett and Buda and all those things that are just weird to me. Um, I felt like I was finally getting my feet solid and ground, beginning to meet and, and love all of you when all of a sudden, Pastor Ross sends me out to One Chapel Lake Travis on February 14th. Again, God completely messed up my plans. The things that I thought, the reason why I thought even God brought us here to Austin. When you think about Joseph, this is what was going on in his life. He was heading on a path, thinking this is what it was going to be. And then all of a sudden, Mary tells him he, that she is pregnant. It turns his world upside down. Now, I think to understand what Joseph was going through, you need to understand it from the perspective of how Jewish marriages work, because it's actually in stages. The first stage in the Jewish culture is, is an engagement. But this is not the engagement that we're familiar with here in the United States, because their culture, this is when two families would come together, and they would argue and fight and figure out a price and come up with a contract for their son and daughter to become married. Because at that time, these were prearranged marriages. And so that was the engagement, is when two families would come together. Then the second step was the betrothal. And that's where basically a legal document was formed between the man and the woman. And for all purposes, this was a legal document that could only be broken by divorce. And so they were considered husband and wife, even though they still didn't live with each other and they still maintained their fidelity. This betrothal lasted about a year. And during this year, this was a time, because these two may not know each other, where they began to know each other, began to live life together, began to form a relationship together, began to plan for the future. That took about a year to do this. And that during that year, the man was responsible for getting to build a house and to get the home ready for his wife to be. And so this stage, the betrothal stage, was a lot about planning, a lot about excitement. There's a lot of energy and a lot of things happening between these two families and, these two, and this couple. This was the stage that Mary and Joseph were in. But I want you to notice kind of the matter-of-fact way that Matthew describes Joseph's quandary. Look again, verse 18. It says, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, have you ever wondered how Mary broke the news that she was pregnant? Have you ever wondered how Joseph found that out? I mean, probably they were doing all the things that young couples do as they're preparing for their wedding. I can imagine Mary asking Joseph questions about the flowers and the reception and the colors. And because Joseph is that type of guy and kind of one of those ones that just kind of kind of goes along, it just seems like, and as a, as a polite guy, I can, I can imagine him responding, mm, yes, dear, whatever you want, dear. Yes, I, I, that's fantastic. Dear. What, what, I, come on, fellas, you know what I'm talking about, right? I kind of imagine that that's what Joseph was going through. But at some point in all this wedding arrangements, Mary drops the bombshell about the baby. Now, I don't know how she did it, but how do you, because how do you t tell your fiance that you're pregnant, but he's not the father. How do you have that conversation 
in, with, in, this, in this relationship. So obviously, Joseph had to be furious. He had to be completely stunned by the news. I mean, put yourself in his place. How would you respond to something like that? He had trusted this woman. This is the woman that he agreed to spend the rest of his life with. Then all of a sudden, she goes out and gets pregnant. It's not right. So what does Joseph do? Well, culturally speaking, he has a couple of options. Number one, the first option was that he could legally have her stoned to death because of her adultery. That was the cultural norm. Imagine that. He could legally have her stoned to get to death for adultery. The second option, though, is that he could secretly break off the engagement and end it more quietly. Look here in verse 19, because it describes Joseph's solution to the problem, I think even reveals more of its character. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. See, the Bible describes for us that even though Joseph could have had her stone, which was the, cult, the cultural norm, he decided that he would simply go through a quiet divorce so that Mary wouldn't be publicly disgraced. But then look at what happens, verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. As much as Joseph loved or may have loved Mary, he struggled to believe her story. He struggled to understand the incarnation in the womb of his wife-to-be. And can you blame him? Can you imagine hearing that news? I have two daughters. And if one of my daughters came to me and said, Dad, I'm pregnant, but it's not what you think. I didn't have sex with a man. The Holy Spirit made me pregnant. As much as I love my girls, as much as I trust my girls, there's absolutely no way that I think I could believe them. And I even think I'm a person of faith. I think I, I believe in the extraordinary. I believe in the miraculous. But I would struggle believing my girls. This is what Joseph was going through. Let's so look at the issues that the angel addressed with Joseph. Number one, he addressed Joseph's fears. He addressed the fears that Joseph had. Verse 20, the angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. See, the angel recognized the fears that Joseph had to take Mary as his wife. Now think about that, because why did Joseph have all these fears? Well, the reason why he had all of these fears was because if he were to marry her, then that would tell everybody around that he had violated his vow of purity. He's the one who had gotten her pregnant. And then he would have to deal with the public disgrace and the public humiliation forever for the rest of his life in the culture in which they lived. And so he had this incredible fear of taking her even to be his wife because of what people would think. And so the angel, he addressed those fears. Number two, the angel verifies the veracity of what Mary had told him. The angel actually verifies what, angel, what Mary had said. Verse 20, the angel said, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So the angel affirms that Mary was not unfaithful to him. 
but that she was pregnant because of the Holy Spirit. Then number three, the angel gives purpose and calling to Joseph. This is really interesting. The angel gives purpose and calling to Joseph. Verse 21, the angel said, she will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. In other words, God shows Joseph his role in all of this. This becomes really important for Joseph because even though this had taken him by surprise, even though his world had collapsed around him, God had a plan. And in this plan, Joseph was, had a part. Up to this point, he was excluded, wasn't he? I mean, he didn't have any vote to whether his wife-to-be was going to get pregnant. He was left out of this, and he wanted to kind of get out of this picture too. But God gives him a purpose in this. This is really important because when things are going on in your life that all of a sudden become unexpected, when you're surprised and when life's not treating the way you think it should and doors seem to be um, slamming shut on you and you feel like you're, you're dying inside, it's important for you to know your role, your purpose in the midst of this. And that's what the angel did with Joseph. And then number four, the angel shows Joseph the big picture. He shows Joseph the big picture, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, Joseph's world was completely rocked, but the angel showed him how he fit into this big picture. The big story of what God was doing, the miracle of God coming and invading this world, and the angel showed him the bigger picture of his life. You and I need that, folks. When our worlds get turned upside down, all you can see is right like this. You have a hard, a hard way of seeing what's the bigger picture. How does this fit into everything? And when God shows you the big picture, what does it do? It settles you down. Look at Joseph's response to all of this. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Even though Joseph's life was completely turned upside down, when the angel came and spoke to him, Joseph was willing to act on what God revealed to him. He was willing to respond and willing to do it. I want you to think about that in regards to your own life. Because I think for so many of us, we're so bullheaded, we're so headstrong, we're so stubborn, we're so reluctant to change that when something happens in our life that surprises us or shakes us or things don't go the way we think, it's like we dig our heels in the sand, we close our eyes, we close our ears, and, and we just say, la, 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 I don't want to think about this. This can't be something that God is doing. My life was all figured out. This wasn't supposed to happen. I thought this was dealt with. I thought this was over. And we dig our heels in. And we don't want to think that there's a bigger picture of something that God's actually doing in the midst of this. And for some of you, that may, may be exactly where you are. You feel like you're stuck and trapped in confusion. These things are shifting. These things are happening in, in your life. It may be because a loved one died this year and you're just wrapped in this confusion of what's going on. It may be because your marriage is crumbling around you and you're just wrapped in confusion. Maybe because your friend has turned his back on you. It may be because it feels like your body is falling apart. Maybe because that your, your job hasn't turned out the way that you think it should. And as a result, it's put you in confusion. And you don't know what's up and down. You don't know what right or left. You, don't, you, don't, you can't even find God in the midst of this. 
Well, listen, just like Joseph, number one, it's time for you to discover that God is with you. Right in the midst of the shift and change, right in the midst of the chaos and messiness, that God is with you, that he is Emmanuel. Even though this, what's happening to you may be confusing right now, maybe these things aren't happening the way you think they should, you need to understand that they haven't taken God by surprise. This doesn't take God's spice right. Look at this in Romans chapter 8, verse 38. It says, I have come, become absolutely convinced that neither death nor life, neither messenger of heaven nor monarch of earth, neither what happens today nor what may happen tomorrow. Did you hear that? Neither what happens today nor what may happen tomorrow, neither a power from on high nor a power from below nor anything else in God's world, whole world has any power to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing. Why? Because he's Emmanuel. He's right there in the midst of what you're going through. Many of you know the story of one chapel Lake Travis. In 1978, there was a church, a Baptist church that was started there on the corridor in Highway 71 with the whole purpose of being able to reach people for Christ in that corridor between Bee Cave and Spicewood. And I always think, if you don't know what God is doing, always look at what the devil is doing, because the devil a lot of times will catch on it much quicker than you will, and he'll do everything he can to thwart it in your life, to try to destroy it. And so if you're having a hard time understanding your purpose, if you're having a hard time seeing what God is doing, a lot of times just look at what the devil is doing because he's trying to stop it. Well, this was the case with this church. You can tell that God has a great plan and purpose for that church. There have been three pastors previous to me being out there. And under each one of those three leadership regimes, there have been major moral failure ending with the last pastor who had been having a long-term affair with the secretary. And the only reason why this was even exposed was because she had stolen $300,000 of gold coins from her parents. And she was trying to sell them at pawn shops. And the FBI got brought into it because the amount there, and they began to investigate her. And in, in the investigation of her, they discovered that she was having this affair with the senior pastor of this church. Not only was, did she do all that, she also embezzled $50,000 from the church. Let that set there just a little bit for you. This was the state of the church. And this, the incredible abuse, incredible spiritual abuse, and the violation of trust that happened as a result of this narcissistic pastor and, and the secretary as well completely devastated the church. It put the church in this downward spiral. And that's that's how we came as a church. That's how one chapel came into the picture. And that's how we were ended up coming in and adopting this church to become part of our one chapel family. And we did that on February 14th. But as you can imagine, there was so much healing that's, that needed to occur in so many people's lives. Again, the spiritual abuse, the violation that happened through that whole situation was extraordinary. And so Pastor Ross and I talked about it, and I ended up deviating from everything that you guys were doing this summer, and we did out there uh, a seven-week series on healing. And for seven weeks, we just talked and preached and, and prayed through and worked through healing. And uh, during that time, we began to see just incredible things begin to take place in people's lives as God began to heal and restore so many people. One of the people 
that was probably more drastically affected than anybody else is her name. Her name is Leanne. And Leanne is the ex-wife of the previous pastor. And she remained at the church through the whole thing and still is at the church. And in the fifth week of this series, I asked her to come forward and share her story. I want to read a little bit of it here this morning here, if you wouldn't mind. This is a portion of her story. She writes, I remember thinking, I don't know how I can survive this. The last several years of my marriage have been filled with insecurity and suspicion about the relationship between my husband and a woman who had previously been a family friend and a fellow staff member at the church. Many times I had questioned how personal their connection had become and was met with angry outbursts and deception to distract me from the reality that they were deep in an affair. So when a legal crisis forced him to disclose their affair, his words, you were right about everything, strangely came as a relief to me. I wasn't crazy and I wasn't mishearing the Holy Spirit's whispering, this isn't right. I was finally dealing with the truth. After several visits with a marriage counselor, it became obvious that his interest was not in saving our marriage, but in pursuing the relationship and the life he had with her. So I began the process of detangling 26 years of marriage and starting again. I'd been primarily a mom and a wife and had no formal job training. Now I was going to have to support myself and my kids, starting with very little financially. While I absolutely believe God loves marriage and hates divorce, I believe it's the volumes of selfishness that surround the breakdown of a marriage that are so detestable to God, not the filing of paperwork in a courtroom. I can honestly say that the divorce was easier to recover from than the affair. That kind of betrayal affects you in deep ways that you can't quite grasp even over a period of several years. Here's the good part, Jesus. Early on, a friend said to me, Jesus is all you need. I thought, that's easier to say when he's not all you have. But I determined then not to fight my state of being totally broken and totally in need of healing. Yes, I needed Jesus. I needed Jesus with the hands and feet to scoop me off the floor. When I couldn't get out of the fetal position, I needed Jesus with words to tell me that I had worth because everything that mattered to me had been horribly devalued. I needed Jesus with a kind face because I feared I wasn't welcome any longer in my church family. After the destruction my husband had, had caused, and I needed Jesus to hold my hand and to teach me what a healthy relationship looks like by undoing the lies that I had lived with and speaking truth and kindness to me. I wish I could say it was pretty, but it wasn't. But Jesus showed up in a hundred different ways every day. A friend came and would read scripture over me until I could sit up upright and eventually get off the floor. Others very gently reminded me, this wasn't a bad dream, it was, it was reality, and helped me put one foot in front of the other to do the hard things I knew I had to do. Friends welcomed me every time. I had the courage to show up at church, though hard though it was painful for a long time. And then one day, it just wasn't painful anymore. When Pastor Russ started the series on healing by talking about Lazarus, I was so excited. There's always been my, it's always been my favorite story of healing in the Bible because of the last verse. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. 
Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus allowed Lazarus' friends to participate in his healing by unwrapping his bandages until freedom was complete. That's how my healing is happening in community with you, my close, my, my church family. I am so blessed. Let me tell you something. That day shifted things in the church. That church had been abused and misused and devastated by years of spiritual abuse. That service changed the whole flavor of the church. And it became a church that's healed. It's become a church that's alive. And it's a church that has purpose. That's what happened. And the reason is because Emmanuel, God comes in the midst of our stuff and our junk and our messiness, the things that surprise us. He comes there in the midst of that. And I'm telling you, he did that with Leanne. He continues to do that with Leanne. I asked her if I could share her story this morning. She said yes, because it is our story. We are in this together. And listen, you may be in one of those places of confusion where your world has been turned upside down by different things, but I'm telling you, Emmanuel is real. He is right there with you. Things may look bleak and things may be hard and you may, you may not know how to get up tomorrow morning, but I'm telling you, he is there. He's there in the midst of what is happening in your life. That's his promise. And if you've not experienced him as Emmanuel, I want to encourage you, make that your number one priority for this Christmas because there's nothing like it. Him coming into your life, I can tell you that. And I just want to say how grateful I am to you, One Chapel Austin, it's because of you and your giving and you sending musicians and, and teachers that this church is now alive. You have a healthy part to your extended part of your family because of what you have done. You paid a lot of the sacrifice to make this possible. And I'm just saying, it's a beautiful thing to see. One year ago today was the first service that I preached out there. Not because it was a one chapel church, but because we were testing the water was God bringing us together one year ago today. And I can tell you, it's been extraordinary to be a part of it, to see the miracle of how God could take something so spiritually awful, and it had a spiritual stench in that church. And now let me tell you something. The last welcome party we did, we had 50 people there, 50 brand new people that are coming from that neighborhood, from that area. Last Sunday, we had to add chairs to our service because the church was so jam-packed. It's changing. The environment is changing. Then here's the second thing. Put yourself in a place to hear from God. Put yourself in a place to hear from God. For Joseph, his world was turned upside down. He needed desperately to hear from God. What was his purpose? Where was God in all of this? And let me just say, you need it too. Whatever it is that's going on in your life, you need to be able to hear from God. So stop running around and spinning around and going from this person, that person, that person. Stop. Just stop and be quiet. Get yourself in a position to actually hear God speak to you. Because I'm telling you something. When you get direction and input from God, it changes everything. It changes everything. And then number three. 
It's imperative that you dedicate yourself to Jesus. It's imperative that you dedicate yourself to Jesus. In other words, ask, begin asking God what to do. Ask God what, 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 is he reveal, what has God revealed to you? Because this becomes a lordship issue. Because you're going to have to answer this question. Because are you going to be the one who runs your life? Or are you going to be able to say, Lord, I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't know where this fits. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know what you're going to do here. But God, I'm willing. Whatever it is, Lord, I'm willing. And I want you to notice that once Joseph heard from God, not only did he listen, but he immediately did what it was the angel told him to do. Some of you this morning, you need to leave this service. You need to immediately go and do what God's already told you to do. Some of you this morning, you need to settle this lordship issue and determine your heart. Say, okay, God, I'm going to let go of control. I'm going to let go of trying to figure this thing out. I'm going to let go of trying to predetermine this thing. And God, I'm going to let you work in my life. Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing. And I'm willing to be willing. And I'm willing to be willing where I don't even think I can be willing, but I want to be willing that's where you need to get yourself in that position. You need to settle that in your heart. I want to ask you just to close your eyes here this morning. Because some of you, you're in that spot of just confusion where things are spinning around you. And you don't know what to do. You don't know how this fits. And your life has been turned upside down. And I want you to just, here in this place, just start to be quiet. And let just the Holy Spirit, let Emmanuel come. And be right there in the midst of what it is that you're going through. And let him begin to settle your heart and begin just to speak truth, to begin to speak his perspective into what it is that you're going through. And I want to ask you here this morning, if you'll just pray this after me. Can, you just, can we all just pray this out loud? Just say this with me. Say, God. Say it out loud. Say, God, I thank you for being patient with me. I've always known that you were there, but sometimes I lose perspective of your faithfulness to me. So thank you for seeking me, even when I ignored you. Thank you for pursuing me, for not giving up on me. Today I realize that you've been trying to get my attention. And I admit that I've been focusing on my plan for my life and not your plan. And so I realize that you made me for a purpose. So this morning, I want to open up my life to you. Replace my confusion with your peace. And would you please Replace my uncertainty about the future with your gift of eternal life. I want to discover and I want to fulfill the purpose that you made me for. I want to cooperate with your plan for my life. And I want to learn to trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen.